You are listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wendy Fenton, and I'm the coordinator of the Humanitarian Practice Network at the Humanitarian Policy Group at ODI. I'd like to welcome you all to today's event on strengthening disability inclusion in humanitarian action. The World Humanitarian Summit in 2016 was a pivotal turning point in the advancement of disability inclusion in the humanitarian sector. The Interagency Standing Committee guidelines on the inclusion of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action, which was launched in November 2019, is the latest in a in a range of commitments, standards, and guidance developed in the wake of the summit to address the barriers to disability inclusion. But, but despite this progress, challenges to effective inclusion still remain. Um, and chief among, amongst these is acknowledging that persons with disabilities and their organizations are not passive beneficiaries, but they're agents of change, they're right holder, rights holders, they're key actors, in humanitarian response. And the lack of good data about people with disabilities that any efforts to strengthen inclusion uh, depend on is another important gap. So drawing on the latest edition of the Humanitarian Exchange on Disability Inclusion and the new network paper on addressing the disability data gap, you can find the links in the chat box. Um, today, we're going to discuss disability inclusive practices and approaches being used and what more needs to be done to ensure the rhetoric around disability inclusive humanitarian preparedness and response is actually being translated into action on the ground. Um, COVID-19 is exacerbating uh, the need to ensure that disability inclusion is a priority for humanitarian actors and that makes today's conversation about moving towards implementation of this inclusion agenda even more urgent. So before I introduce the excellent panel that we have today, I want to play a short video introduction provided by Christian Modino Hawk, who is the humanitarian director at CBM Disability uh, Inclusion and co-chair of the Global Reference Group on Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities in Humanitarian Action. If you require the British sign language interpreter during this video, please pin the interpreter's video now by clicking on the three dots in the top right corner of their screen and click pin video. Hello everyone, my name is Christian Modino and CBM Global Humanitarian Director and one of the co-chairs of the reference group on inclusion of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action. It is a great honor and a pleasure to introduce this very timely and pertinent, and pertinent webinar. So thanks ODI a lot for giving me this opportunity. I'm going to sound a bit repetitive uh, or like a broken record, uh, but let's remind ourselves of a very few important facts. Persons with disabilities uh, remain today amongst the most isolated, socially excluded and marginalized uh, of all displaced populations. They are often abandoned by their families as they flee conflict or disaster. They can become more dependent uh, as a result of the loss of their assistive devices, services and support structures. They are excluded or unable to access mainstream assistance programs due to attitudinal, physical and social barriers. 
I mean, over the five past years, there have been, however, uh, significant efforts, uh, and it's worth acknowledging this, uh, to address uh, the rights and support the needs of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development or the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction, for example, I mean, they have been built on the ethical imperative uh, of leave no one behind. The Charter of Inclusion of Persons with Disabilities launched during the World Humanitarian Summit are now endorsed by more than 200 organizations. On a more practical level, the IAC guidelines and the humanitarian inclusion standards designed and developed together with and in consultation with uh, persons with disabilities and their representative organizations help address the gap in understanding the needs, capacities and rights of persons with disabilities. At the government level or interagency level, DEFID, ECHO uh, or the UN have developed their own strategies and operation guidelines. So while all of this are really important, very important steps in the right direction, evidence keeps showing that you know, the humanitarian sector is still a long way uh, from meeting the minimum um, uh, requirements on disability inclusion. Recent reports from COVID-19 uh, response show that persons with disabilities keep facing inaccessible environments and keep um, and barriers to information, hindering their ability to protect themselves, for example. They also face higher health risks uh, due to often inaccessible healthcare and rehabilitation services. Or agencies' preventive measures often do not take into account their specific needs uh, and rights, uh, which can negatively impact their safety, physical and uh, psychosocial well-being. I mean, the reasons for this is not necessarily the lack of will from mainstream actors. I mean, we all know the huge demand on uh, quality programming and accountability, and rightly so. But there is, I mean, it is more a symptom of an ongoing lack of understanding on how to practically uh, work more closely with uh, persons with disabilities and their representative organizations, which are not merely recipients of AIDS, but they have a lot to contribute uh, to inclusive humanitarian responses. The new edition of the Humanitarian Exchange magazine, which is presented today, is really a fabulous example uh, of collaboration and exchange of ideas, initiatives and experiences from various stakeholders in implementing, delivering uh, inclusive practices. I mean, we need a lot more of these. So a huge thanks to Wendy and ODA colleagues for contributing to the ongoing disability inclusion debate and its analysis through the dissemination of uh, these good practices. Wishing you all a fruitful and inspiring discussions. Thank you very much for that excellent introduction, Christian. Um, later on, later on, we're going to be uh, putting your questions to the panel that we have here today. So please do add any questions you have to the Q and A box in Zoom. And now let me introduce our panelists. So first of all, um, a warm welcome to Simi Bula, our first panelist, who is the Pacific Disability Forum's Regional Coordinator for Disaster Risk Reduction, based in Suva in Fiji. Welcome, Simi. Simi is responsible for implementing the Pacific Capacity Building Program for Disabled Persons Organizations in Fiji, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and Timor-Leste, with support from CBM. Uh, Simi has advocated for social inclusion for 14 years. He's worked as a consumer rights activist and for the last five years has worked with the disability sector, promoting the rights and protection of persons with disabilities and their inclusion in preparedness and response actions. 
And we're also delighted to have with us um, from Lagos, Nigeria, Suleiman Abdulmamouni Uja. Suleiman is the National Project Officer for the International Disability Alliance through the Africa Disability Forum's inclusion uh, work with organizations of persons with disabilities engagement in Nigeria. And Suleiman is a deaf sign language user and a bridge training alumni. We're going to talk a bit more about bridge training later and has been a grassroots disability activist since his school days. And since then, Suleiman has held key posts in various disability organizations and is a role model for upcoming youth with uh, disabilities, upcoming youth activists with disabilities. Um, and moving to Khartoum, Sudan, our third distinguished panelist is Alradi Abdallah. Um, Alradi is a bridge, also bridge alumni and the global training of trainers lead for the bridge initiative within the International Disability Alliance's capacity building unit. Alradi focuses on strengthening the network of bridge facilitators at the global, regional and national levels and supporting bridge alumni to become facilitators. And Alradi is a lawyer with strong experience of legal harmonization, access to justice, um, convention on the rights of persons with disability monitoring processes, and of providing support to national and regional organizations of persons with disabilities. He was the International Disability Alliance Open Society Foundation Fellow in 2017, supporting IDA's work with the Human Rights Council. Alradi is a blind person and is a member of the National Blind Association in Sudan. And last but not least, we're privileged to welcome Shireen Al-Sheikh Ahmed, who is currently the Age and Disability Inclusion Advisor with Islamic Relief Worldwide, based in the UK. Shireen is an inclusion specialist with over 17 years of experience in disability mainstreaming and development in humanitarian projects. She spent eight years working with children with disabilities, including shaping the strategic discussion, uh, sorry, strategic direction of disability inclusion for children zero to 15. Um, in Syria, concentrating on early intervention programming and change management at ministerial level. From 2009 until 2015, Shireen led and managed humanitarian responses in a number of organizations in over 15 countries. She also successfully led a change management program for aging and disability inclusion in humanitarian action or ABCAP. So, um, Let's move over to our panelists. And Simi, I wanted to start with you. Your article, and I should say that everyone involved on the call today is, uh, is an author or co-author of one of the articles in the Humanitarian Exchange. But I, I wanted to start with Simi. So your article looks at the role of organizations of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action and, and how focusing on a shared vision for the disability movement in the Pacific has led to significant improvements in inclusive disaster risk reduction, response and recovery. I just wonder if you could tell us a bit about what the shared vision is and how did the Pacific Disability Forum go about creating it? Over to you, Simi. Yes, um, everybody, uh, good evening and uh, good morning uh, to all of you uh, joining in um, today. 
Um, in terms of the, the shared vision for, um, for the work that we do in the Pacific for organizations of persons with disabilities, just very briefly, uh, let me just talk about the Pacific Disability Forum. Um, who are we uh, in terms of the work that we do? Uh, the Pacific Disability Forum is an organization of and for persons with disabilities. Uh, we are a regional umbrella organization of uh, which is made up of uh, national uh, organizations of persons with disabilities across uh, 21 Pacific Island countries and uh, territories. Uh, so basically uh, the work that we do, uh, we, we promote uh, the rights of persons with disabilities uh, with the bigger goal of all human rights for all persons with disabilities. And in and, and this goal, this is where the, the strategy or the, the, the collective vision of the Pacific in terms of uh, disaster preparedness uh, and uh, in uh, emergency response uh, and also humanitarian actions. So this shared vision, which is the disability inclusive preparedness for response strategy, uh, a document that brought about the voices of persons with disabilities across the Pacific region, um, using uh, learning from uh, using their lived experiences uh, to document uh, and identify uh, priorities for uh, organizations of persons with disabilities uh, in the region. Uh, in, in terms of the development of this project, uh, over the years, persons with disabilities, while they have been participating uh, in, um, in humanitarian action, they have also been participating in disaster preparedness work, uh, also in a disaster response within the region, they, they, they have been pulled in different directions uh, due to the lack of resources that they have uh, and also uh, due to the, the lack of capacity uh, that they have, which should en uh, enabling and limiting their participation uh, within, the, within the sector. And then uh, when we brought this, um, this strategy, when we put this strategy together, we identified these different gaps uh, within, uh, in, in terms of the participation of persons with disabilities. Secondly, uh, we look at the capacity of uh, organizations of persons with disabilities as representative uh, of uh, the voice and issues of persons with disabilities. And um, in terms of the journey that we went through uh, to develop this, um, this, this common vision, uh, we started off with uh, bringing together uh, 14 organizations of persons with disabilities across the Pacific region. Uh, we had a meeting uh, in, um, in Fiji, uh, and then we talked about a 10-year vision uh, of disability-inclusive disaster risk reduction work uh, in the Pacific. And then from that, uh, we had a bit of a brainstorming uh, where different organizations bring in their different experiences um, and then there were a few representatives uh, that were identified to work with CBM Australia uh, in Australia to put together these lived experiences that has been collated from different organizations into a strategy that will form the pathway uh, to create, uh, to, to form that common vision and also the priorities for organizations of persons with disabilities in terms of their engagement 
uh, within uh, in disaster risk reduction. And with this, uh, CBM Australia mobilized uh, their partners uh, in Australia, and we brought together uh, representative of persons with uh, organizations of persons with disabilities from the Pacific to Melbourne in Australia to draw up the strategy, which is now today called the Disability Inclusive uh, Preparedness for Response uh, Strategy. And then with this uh, strategy, um, in 2018, just before the consultation was conducted in the Pacific in terms of the development of the IC guideline on the uh, inclusion of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action, again, we saw that as an opportunity to bring together a different representative of organizations of persons with disabilities to come and refine this common vision, refine the strategy, and also use that as a tool to put forward our messages where uh, in the consultation that will be conducted on the IC guideline uh, on the inclusion of persons with disabilities in humanitarian action. Uh, and, and, and this uh, so the opportunity to, to really uh, look at what are the priorities in the region for organizations of persons with disabilities. And there were six priorities that were identified. One was the strengthening of organizations of persons with disabilities. Uh, and, and this is the heart of the strategy, where we look at strengthening of person, uh, the organization of persons with disabilities in terms of their resourcing, uh, looking at um, also in terms of human resource, uh, mobilizing capacity building support, uh, and also uh, mobilizing technical support to correspond uh, with organizations of persons with disabilities to respond to the needs of the different stakeholders within the sector, looking at targeting uh, the second change area, which is looking at targeting government, uh, and then the third change area targeting other humanitarian actors. Um, and then we have the fourth change area, which targets communities and community-based organizations and community leaders uh, as a key stakeholder in ensuring the inclusion of persons with disabilities. And then we look at change area five as uh, looking at strengthening of uh, systems uh, and humanitarian services to ensure the inclusion of persons with disabilities. And we look at change area six as an area of uh, evidence where we gather evidence, uh, looking at how we can further keep strengthening the strategy to inform it with one, the lived experiences of persons with disabilities. And secondly, the barriers that they face and also looking at how we can uh, document best practices that can be used uh, to strengthen the response, uh, emergency response, and also disaster risk reduction work uh, in the region in terms of the inclusion of persons with disabilities. And, and, and ever since, we've been using this strategy to guide the work that we do, to guide our messaging, and, and, and it has really uh, seen um, changes in terms of how persons with disabilities engage in the sector. Uh, it, it also has seen uh, the difference in terms of when they are coming in, they are now engaging in cluster systems or having conversations with national disaster management offices. They are now having conversations with humanitarian NGOs like Oxfam, PLAN, uh, CARE, World Vision. And, and, and this, they're no longer just going in to be pulled in because of the priority of the responders or of humanitarian actors, but they're coming in with their own priorities 
and they're coming in with their own asks and also they're coming in with their own solutions that they can provide to ensure that persons with disabilities are included and are no longer left behind. While this work is just starting off, long way away from uh, achieving the vision that we want in terms of all human rights for all persons with disabilities, but see, it's a, it's a continuous work. It's a continuous work, and we we are thankful with our to our inclusion partners such as CBM Australia, uh, CBM New Zealand. Uh, and also uh, International Disability Alliance in providing us with those technical support uh, and also in uh, supporting us in terms of corresponding and further keep on supporting our member organizations nationally to build the capacity. And that's, that's how we, uh, in terms of the current program that we're implementing in the Pacific, where we are building the capacity of organizations of persons with disabilities as a direct uh, interventions targeting organizations of persons with disabilities. So the arrangement that we have at the national level, um, multiple organizations are now running to organizations of persons with disabilities for technical support around disability inclusion. And for them to do this, they need uh, to uh, be recognized, partners need to recognize that there will be capacity gaps. There's a need to build that capacity of organizations of persons with disabilities, because we know that persons with disabilities over the years, they've been stigmatized and that affects their access to education, that affects their access to, to build their technical expertise around these different thematics. And that also affects their understanding and their access to information about how they can engage within the humanitarian infrastructure. So with this program that we're doing, while there are requests coming in to organizations of persons with disabilities, the technical support is provided by CBM Australia and the Pacific Disability Forum to them to correspond to these different requests. Uh, and, and for us, we, we call our approach as the, the triangle team approach uh, in which the tip of the triangle is the national organizations of persons with disabilities and the base of the triangle, we have CBM Australia and the Pacific Disability Forum providing the technical support, uh, facilitating south-to-south -south learnings between uh, cross-country learnings between organizations of persons with disabilities uh, and also providing that uh, ongoing mentoring to staff uh, of the organizations of persons with disabilities in ensuring that they are responding effectively to the request coming in from partners. And also they are supported with necessary tools, information and resources to uh, strengthen their response to the different humanitarian actors that are currently approaching them in terms of their participation. Simi, However, I'm the sorry, work is sorry to, yeah. sorry, Simi, to interrupt, but I, um, I just wondered um, if you could also tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you faced along the way in creating this shared vision. I mean, it, it sounds like a really successful initiative and that uh, through this uh, developing this shared vision, also you've been able yeah. to maximize the, you know, the resources that you have, get the support that you need, but only to help you in your own vision of what you want to do rather than having to carry out the, uh, the uh, vision or meet the objectives of, of other organizations. But 
Were there any challenges that you faced along the way in, in bringing this all together? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Wendy. Uh, in, in terms of the, the work that we, there are, there are challenges. Um, in the Pacific, we are separated by oceans. Um, so uh, we are scattered across the oceans. And uh, in order for us to come together as one to build such visions, it costs money. Uh, and it costs a lot. Uh, because you have to travel across the seas to be able to get to a place for us to be able to meet together as a team. Uh, uh, and, 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 and that was one of the biggest challenges, trying to, trying to mobilize uh, resources and funding to support the development of this vision. Uh, and we're thankful to, to our donors that enabled this, uh, this work for us. Uh, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, uh, the min, uh, of the Australian government, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade of the New Zealand government, um, and the International Disability Alliance, CBM Australia, uh, for enabling us to, to be able to come together and do this. And while we do this, the other challenge that we faced was the, the capacity of, um, of, of organizations of persons with disabilities for them to be able to, to really fully implement the strategy and the priorities. While, while, while we have a strategy, while we have a bigger picture in terms of where we want to go, this still needs to, for them, uh, support needed to strengthen them in terms of implementing the strategy and also to resource them to be able to actually um, work with different organizations. Uh, for us, the, the five organizations that we're looking at in Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, Timor-Leste, and PNG, we are fortunate that we are funded through the uh, Australian Humanitarian Partnership uh, to be able to implement this strategy for us. But then for other organizations in the region, uh, organizations of persons with disabilities in the Pacific, they also need uh, similar funding. They also need, and, and, and this has been an ongoing uh, issue uh, for us in the Pacific. And most organizations of persons with disabilities in the Pacific, they only have one or two staff within the office. Um, and, and most of them rely on uh, the time of volunteers for them to be able to implement this work, uh, for them to be able to implement this vision. Um, and, 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 and that impacts the, the prioritization of um, uh, the competing priorities within uh, the organizations in terms of uh, implementing the shared vision uh, and also in terms of ensuring that systems are in place, structures are in place to support them when there's an actual response. Uh, well, in terms of them being engaged in disaster risk reduction work. And then in the Pacific, we're also having this, this different conversation around climate change adaptation. Uh, so so these this are different, very technical areas, uh, which requires technical expertise. And in most, uh, Pacific, in most Pacific organizations of persons with disabilities, these expertise are not there. All they have are lived experiences. So for us at the moment, what we're trying to do is trying to, to support organizations of the persons with disabilities to be able to use these lived experiences 
for them to be able to strategically um, participate within these different uh, sectors, these different platforms uh, for them to advocate. And at the moment, that was that is one of the challenges uh, due to the lack of access to education uh, for persons with disabilities. So most of the staff within the organizations of persons with disabilities only have lived experiences. But then you need to treat them still conduct training around advocacy skills, project management, financial literacy, and these are all encompassing things that we really need to build to ensure that they effectively and efficiently represent the voice of persons with disabilities within these different platforms. Thank you Thank very you. much, Simi. That's really uh, helpful and really interesting. Um, and I, I'd love to hear more about that, but I think in the interest of time, we're going to move on to our next panelists. Um, and that would be, sorry, that would be Suleiman. Um, Suleiman, you've been a grassroots disability activist, as I mentioned earlier, since you were in school. And you've also worked with organizations of persons with disabilities and humanitarian agencies. So in your experience, um, how does the Bridge training platform, and you might need to tell us a little bit about Bridge for those on the call who aren't familiar with it, um, how does that foster a, a shared vision, or in other words, a mutual understanding and stronger and equal collaboration between humanitarian actors and the disability movement? Over to you. I think you might be on mute, Suleiman. You're in. Well, so sorry about that. I think you're so sorry about that. So hello, everyone, once again. When we talk about disability, we need to understand what disability itself means. The UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities says disability is an impairment of environment or the situation around, which means physical and other then we need to understand that disability can happen to anybody at any disability alliance as sharing knowledge on those that have strong advocacy background. To know the deep knowledge about CRPD, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability and Sustainable Development Goals. So this platform gives more insights 
about the, the right of the right of persons with disability and how it links to every each other, how it links to each other. Different people from different countries, different segments, be it disability organization, um, advocates, activists, government sectors, different kinds of people, bringing them together to learn all the articles, the specific articles in UN Convention on the Right of Persons. For example, when we talk about Article 11, it focuses on humanitarian and situation, humanitarian and situation risks. It works with human actors, humanitarian actors, and then the people who have knowledge of disability issues. Humanitarian actors are also specialists in their own area. And then these two uh, professionals are brought together. Humanitarian actors have their own policy. They know their work. But they can also learn how disability issue to DPOs, you know, they can mainstream it together to make their work inclusive. So disabilities, DPOs have knowledge, they are strong advocates. They know how disability can be mainstream. And so they bring humanitarian actors together, link them together. And that is what we call disability inclusion in humanitarian actors. So we sit down and look at all this thing together. When we talk of humanitarian and disability, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability has different links. For example, children with disability on Article. Sorry, excuse me. Children with disability links up with education. When it comes to school structure, we must consider how we set up measures, preventive measures in emergency situation. So like Article 6, humanitarian actors has their own uh, they have preventive measures too to reduce any risks. And so we have to work together, we work along. Another scenario is women with disability, and it's a wide issue. It goes around with accessibility. The issue of emergency situation often happens with women, be it in the hospital, be it at home, or probably they are traveling. It could be at any point. So we need to consider how to merge it 
with disability inclusion in that area. In my work experience, there are a lot of things that have happened, if not because of bridge training and the knowledge I have you know, gotten from the training. Sometimes, human creativity issues, we must find an alternative to use our knowledge on our situations. And the humanitarian actors and the UN Convention on the Rights of Person is to help us to have fast um, solving, you know, to know how to solve the issue, emergency issue with immediate effect. In a situation where there's a fire outbreak, you know, this is not expected. You, there's only need to have three, Be concerned on how we can act. First aid, for example, we must have first I think we may have lost Suleiman briefly. Um Suleiman, we, we aren't able to, uh, to hear you or see you. Um, so I think what we might do um, is move on to Alradi and then come back to you to hear more about that. Because I'm interested to know what impact your engagement with the Bridge uh, CRPD training has actually had on you both personally and in the humanitarian work that you're involved in. But I'll come back to you when uh, we can reestablish connection. Um, Elradi, um, can I move on to you? I mean, in your humanitarian exchange article, you talk about the need for a participation revolution. Um, I mean, what does a participation revolution, this is language also borrowed from the grand bargain, um, what does this look like and why do you think it's necessary? Over to you, Elradi. I think you're on mute. So sorry, uh, my network went wrong. Ah, Suleiman, maybe we could just let Elradi respond because um, I, I thought we'd give Elradi a, a chance and then I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you. Is that okay? All right, that's fine. That's fine. Thank you very much. Sorry, Elradi, let me just uh, repeat that. Um, as I said, you in your article, you talked about uh, a participation revolution. And I just wondered what a what you mean by that and why do you think it's necessary? Go ahead. Thank you so much, uh, Wendy, and hello all. Good morning and good afternoon. Um, when uh, the, the participation revolution is a key uh, to fulfill the, uh, the outcome uh, commitment 
that have been issued by uh, 2016 Humanitarian Action Summit in ensuring uh, capacity building of local actors and uh, strengthening uh, the ownership of humanitarian, uh, humanitarian response. So we mean by that uh, to have open dialogue between local actors and other policy makers in order uh, to recognize uh, the voice of local actors as local actors have their own experience and they have all knowledge of, about their context. So here, when we talk about local actors, we need also uh, to acknowledge uh, the diversity of such communities, such local actors. We talk about uh, all uh, diversity of that community. We talk about women, we talk about all people, we talk about indigenous people, we talk about youth, and of course, we talk about persons with disabilities and others. Uh, so, uh, of course, in any crisis, uh, there is need for people coming from outside uh, to help in respond to such crisis. But of course, also, we need to ensure that people coming from outside, uh, they have to uh, have open and, and, and genuine uh, dialogue with those local actors. We have to acknowledge the, uh, the knowledge of local actors. We have to acknowledge their experience. We have uh, to acknowledge uh, their um, deep knowledge of their own local context. Uh, so uh, through that dialogue, uh, we can ensure better uh, delivering and better uh, designing uh, and better monitoring of such action. And when we talk also about action here, we talk about any such humanitarian action. We talk about um, response, preparedness, we talk about uh, also OSH and so on. For example, in the context of disability, we need to uh, acknowledge that persons with disabilities, they have uh, their own experience, lived experience with disabilities. So they know a lot about how the services and the response can be delivered in the context of persons with disabilities. They know how the delivery can be accessible. They know how the delivery can be uh, dignified persons with disabilities. They know how uh, the support should be look like in the context of persons with disabilities. So uh, in this sense, we need to acknowledge uh, an open uh, space for persons with disabilities there to, uh, through their uh, representative organization to be, uh, as you said in the beginning, to be not only passive uh, recipient of uh, humanitarian act, uh, aid, but also agent of change and partner in delivering and designing such action. Uh, so when recognize the lived experience of persons with disabilities and their uh, deep knowledge of their context, then we can deliver uh, dignified, uh, helpful, and uh, very targeted uh, action, humanitarian action. Uh, of course, um, humanitarian actors and know a lot about uh, the context of how to deliver uh, the aid, how to deliver uh, the, the response and so on. But in some contexts, they need other knowledge and other experience, uh, as we said, in the context of persons disabilities, for example. Uh, in this sense, uh, we, as Suleiman mentioned, uh, in International Disability Alliance, uh, along with I, International Disability and, uh, and Development Consortium, we have an initiative called Grid CRBD SDG Training Initiative, which aims at developing uh, the capacity of uh, persons with disabilities organization generally, 
but we have a specific training on Article 11 of the CRBD, which focus on uh, people with disabilities in the context of humanitarian uh, action. In this training, uh, we uh, open uh, this stage for mutual uh, learning, mutual exchange between uh, persons with disabilities and the humanitarian actor. So we uh, last year we help uh, we hold uh, one uh, training uh, consists of uh, 30 participants, uh, 10 from humanitarian uh, actors and 20 from DBOs. Uh, when they sit together and they learn from each other, uh, we acknowledge, as my colleague from the Pacific said, we acknowledge that person's disabilities organization need some capacity building in. Uh, in the context of the humanitarian action. But on the same time, the humanitarian actors need some uh, capacity building on the context of disability. So we open this learning space, mutual learning space, uh, to let uh, humanitarian actors uh, learn from DBOs, persons uh, with disability organization representative, and uh, let persons with disabilities uh, learn from the humanitarian actors about how the humanitarian aid should be looked like on the ground. Uh, last year we held uh, the first uh, this the first training, uh, which uh, was in English. But uh, we are uh, uh, we are planning to have at least one training uh, per year. It could be more, and uh, it could be in it could be global at global level, and also it could be at regional level uh, when needed, and even it could be uh, in national level. And the first one was in English, as I said, but uh, we are thinking also are planning to have uh, in other language, French, Spanish, Arabic, and so on, uh, in order uh, to have this opportunity of, uh, of open uh, the mutual learning between persons with disabilities and humanitarian actors for all uh, different parts of the world. Uh, by this, we ensure uh, that the, uh, the participation revolution is open uh, for uh, for change and uh, both uh, actors in this field, humanitarian actors and with disabilities, are set together and acknowledge uh, the knowledge of each other and learning from each other. So uh, the key of the uh, participation revolution is uh, recognizing of local actors, recognizing of different uh, but, uh, different groups of those local actors. Uh, recognize the experience and the lived experience of those groups. And uh, the most key word is mutual. So we have to have mutual learning, mutual sharing, mutual exchange, not to have only people coming from outside to tell people who are uh, in the crisis what to do and how to do. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alradi. Um, no, that's really interesting. I mean, you also say in your article that you learning from the movement to mainstream gender could be used to support humanitarian agencies to mainstream disability inclusion. Um, what are some of the key lessons that you think have been learned from that, including the risks associated with following this model for inclusion? And if I could ask you to be um, uh, fairly brief, because I, I want to make sure I can move on to Shireen before we open for the, the Q&A. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, as we said, the aim is to mainstream disability among all humanitarian uh, action and to ensure uh, the better, the best inclusion of personal disabilities in those action. 
So uh, we need to learn. Uh, we need to learn from other move, social movement, uh, such as women movement. We need to see uh, what the challenges that face those women, uh, those uh, movement, and in particular women movement in being uh, inclusive uh, in the humanitarian action, and also uh, the opportunities and uh, also the success. So, for example, in the success, we uh, we have observed that the gender marker uh, to uh, track uh, and measure uh, aid that goes for women is, uh, is uh, good tools to see how much aid go for women. Uh, yeah, of course it has some challenges, but we can learn from that as well and to have disability marker to see how much aid go for uh, persons with disabilities, how that aid uh, have been used is it has been used in line with the CRBD, with the principle law of the CRBD and human rights in general, and it has been used in uh, creating more uh, isolation for persons with disabilities. So, uh, and of course, here yeah, we have to acknowledge that uh, there, uh, to, to, there is to an approach uh, to focus on persons with disabilities, but also to ensure uh, the intersectionality uh, of uh, disability with other identity. Uh, for example, uh, we have to ensure in women uh, markers that women with disability are there and they receive uh, the equal aid uh, that the other women have received as well. So uh, we have to look uh, deeply on the other uh, movement uh, to see their success and their challenge to benefit from their success and to, have, uh, to try to overcome and uh, to avoid uh, being uh, in the same challenges. Thank you very much, Alradi. Um, I'm, I'm going to actually move on to Shireen now. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for her and then we'll try to come back to Suleiman, to Suleiman before we move on to the Q&A. Um, Shireen, we've just heard some interesting insights on lessons from gender mainstreaming uh, from Alradi and it raises a good point around intersectional identities. Um, and at Islamic Relief, I know that you've tried to mainstream protection and inclusion in programming. So I wonder if you could tell us what some of the key components of this approach are. And based on the recent review that was undertaken, how successful has this been? Thank you so much, Wendy, and everybody who had put um, a lot of effort in the magazine, the articles, this webinar. Um, it's such a privilege to take part of the in this webinar and in um, the write-up of the article, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Um, I will build on what Aradi said. It is so important to um, for mainstreaming organizations, especially humanitarian in the context that we're talking about humanitarian organizations to build on what they already have. A lot of these organizations, they have a fruitful um, a ground for gender mainstreaming, protection mainstreaming, um, um, a lot of accountability in place as well. And this is what we've done in Islamic Relief. What we've done is we've united all of these effort. We brought gender mainstreaming, we brought um, protection mainstreaming, and what we have on accountability um, framework in place, and we built an intersectionality framework. 
Um, as I've illustrated in the article, the intersectionality framework looks into six A's. Um, the, this is the main component of um, um, intersectionality that we work on Islamic Relief. The six A's start by analysis, understanding that we really need to identify people with disabilities, where they are, how many are they in our communities that we work with and we serve, um, building on um, proper data and the use of of um, the Washington Group questions in collecting data as well. The analysis leads us to adapted assistance and how we can adapt our services and our programs to make sure that um, it is inclusive of people with disabilities and their differentiated needs. Um, that taking all of this on board, will we need to make sure that we open our eyes to the um, negative effects so the third A is about attention to negative effects. We make sure that we have adapted participation in place. And when I speak about adapted participation, we are aiming to meaningful participation of people with disabilities and their representatives um, wherever they exist, not in many contexts in humanitarian um, contexts, there are OPDs um, and uh, it is so important to reach out to people with disabilities themselves in the absence of OPDs. Um, bringing all of this um, wouldn't be possible without adequate capacity of our country offices or partner organizations. So looking again into what kind of capacity is needed. Um, a lot of the panelists spoke about capacity. Capacity is not only for um, LPDs, but even for humanitarian organizations where we're trying now to look into what we need and what OPDs need so we can bridge this gap among um, reaching to inclusive, uh, to inclusive humanitarian action. Um, we look into accountability, a lot of work now happening on um, inclusive feedback and complaints mechanisms, how we make sure that our um, mechanisms are inclusive, where we can reach out to um, the furthest of people with disabilities left behind. Um, what was successful in this journey? I think first, the buy-in, the ownership of Islamic Relief at a higher level that we really need to make sure that no one is left behind. Um, maybe with resources, understanding where to put resources in place. Um, a lot of commitment has been um, uh, encouraging um, in providing the seeds for positive change um, in Islamic relief operations. Um, it, we've, we have a commitment of recruiting local protection and inclusion coordinators in all our operations to make sure that our operations are inclusive where possible, um, making sure we reach out to uh, people with disabilities and their organizations, as I said earlier. Um, what Islamic Relief has realized, it is a, a start. It's a, just the seed was put there. The, um, it needs a lot of time, of course. Um, as already said, there are social movements out there that took ages um, and it's still a lot of work is needed and um, the disability inclusion is not different. Um, that journey needs a lot of, of um, investment. 
we realized in Islamic Relief that we need a lot of investment in digitalization, um, in bridging the gap with uh, and strengthening the work with um, OPDs and uh, people with disabilities representation in tackling stigma and discrimination and attitudinal barriers, um, specifically of our own humanitarian workers before we reach out to communities. Um, we started to look into what we can make, what we can invest in uh, faith approach to reach out to stigma and discrimination um, and I think all of these highlights um, the importance and the success that um, there is a lot still needed however we realize it is still it is only the start of the journey I'll stop here because you have a we, we um, still need to listen to Suleiman thank you Shireen um, yes we before I move over to Suleiman, I've had um, a message come through just to ask us all to avoid using acronyms because I think some people aren't um, are, don't understand them. It's one of the the hazards, I think, of humanitarian work. So I yes. think they say OPDs. We're saying organizations of persons with disabilities. Yes. OPDs. OPDs, Organizations for People with Disabilities, and DPOs, Disabled People Organizations. Um, in the sector, we're using both. Um, however, it is an issue of identity for people with disabilities themselves and how they would like to identify themselves and their organizations. Thanks for that, Shireen. Um, let's move uh, back over to Suleiman. And Suleiman, I'm going to ask you very briefly if you could, because we want to move into the, the Q&A. And I do want to, to ask the panelists one question about uh, disability data. But um, could you just tell me what the, what the impact from your perspective this is, has had on you personally, and also um, in the humanitarian related work that you're involved in? Thank you. Okay. Um. Yeah, um, on data issue, um, personally, data has a great impact because we use it in planning, designing, and implementation in everything we do. So with data, we will be able to know the ex exact number, what kind of disability, the gender, you know, the age, and then the location of persons with disability. And then as we look at the perspective of The strength of bridge with humani humanitarian has a great is great when we have the knowledge of data data collection. It is one of the strategies being used to document in planning the best disability inclusion disability concept in accessibility whatsoever that has to do with persons with disability. So when we talk about data, it puts, um, this is having it in mind that 
the use of reasonable accommodation is a key to data. We'll be able to give a proper accessibility services for various clusters of persons with disability. That is my view on data. Thank you very much, uh, Suleiman. I, I do have other questions I'm really interested in pursuing, but in the interest of time, I'd like to move on with the Q&A because I want to give uh, our panelists a chance to respond to questions from the audience, not just from me. So let's, let, there are several really interesting ones, but I want to start off first with a, a comment um, from Kate Strippens. Uh, she says, it's not a question, but a thank you. It's actually eye-opening to see how you can make something as simple as a webinar inclusive itself, which is seriously lagged during COVID when everything has switched to online. So thank you for that, Kate. Um, we're, we're always trying to, uh, to do better in this regard. So we have actually a question from Dr. Sarah Collinson and Sarah is the uh, author of the network paper. Uh, the link's been shared in the, in the chat box. But Sarah, Sarah says, uh, persons with disabilities and organizations of persons with disabilities have very much led the way in strengthening disability inclusion in humanitarian action at all levels, local, national, and global. Do the panelists see real change in the approaches and priorities of mainstream humanitarian actors that reflects the new global commitments and guidelines promoting more inclusive humanitarian action? So I think I will start with um, uh, Simi. Uh, what's your view on that, given your experience with the Pacific Disability Forum? And if you could, if all panelists could be as brief as possible, that will be a, a huge help because we'll have more time for everyone. Thank you. Go ahead, Simi. Get the, the question. Can you just uh, please? Sure. Sorry. Um, let me just repeat that. So. Persons with disabilities and organizations of persons with disabilities have very much led the way in strengthening disability inclusion in humanitarian action at all levels, local, national, and global. Do the panelists see real change in the approaches and priorities of humanitarian actors um, in, in ways that reflect these new global commitments and guidelines? around inclusive humanitarian action. Is that clear? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, thank you for it. It's a great question. Um, and I think this is the question that um, that we, we, we keep asking uh, to humanitarian actors in terms of how effective uh, are the inclusion and the participation of persons with disabilities within the space. Eh? Uh, for us uh, in the region, uh, we have seen uh, changes, uh, but we know that humanitarian actors are taking baby steps. Uh, and just to reflect on um, reflect on the opening speech uh, from the director of the um, uh, CBM Global, uh, in terms of uh, saying that there is willingness uh, from humanitarian actors to ensure the participation of persons with disabilities. 
However, uh, for me, uh, for us, from our perspective, we would like to see changes in terms of institutional change uh, within organizations uh, and also within the different structures that are there, um, which are operating in the humanitarian space. Political will, it changes with the person, but changes need to occur within the organizations. Institutions need to change, processes needs to change, and disability inclusion needs to be something that not just to be thought about when there is a response, but it has to be something that needs to be weaved into plans, it needs to be weaved into budget, and it needs to be integrated into actions when they're carrying out, when they're implementing the various programs that they implement within the humanitarian, um, uh, humanitarian space. So for me, it's institutional change that needs to happen. Uh, while, this, while there are political will for the needs to include persons with disabilities, this political will needs to convert into actions. Thank you. Thanks, Sami. Um, rather than go to other panelists on this question right now, because we have so many interesting questions, I'm actually going to go on to the, I'm going to go on to the next one. Um, and I want to direct this one to El Radi. Um, this is from Karen Johannes. The new IASC guidelines on disability inclusion and humanitarian action referenced earlier, identify four must do actions to effectively mainstream disability and humanitarian services. One of the actions is to promote the empowerment of people with disabilities. I find, however, this action is less tangible than the others, although it is crucially important. I'm curious to hear from the panelists if they have concrete examples of how to actualize empowerment, how to make this happen, particularly in emergency contexts and in environments where there is stigma around disability. Um, would you like to have a go at that, Alradi? Uh, all right. Uh... Uh, as I have mentioned before in my speech, uh, we, had, uh, we have bridged uh, CRBD SDG Article 11, which focuses mainly uh, on uh, people with disabilities on humanitarian situation. So through this, uh, we aim uh, to develop uh, the capacity of humanitarian actors, but on the same time uh, to empower persons with disabilities with develop their capacity to be able to engage uh, with, uh, with other uh, humanitarian situations, to be able uh, to uh, advocate for uh, better uh, inclusiveness of persons with disabilities. Uh, so as a result, for example, from the Paris uh, training, uh, alumni of this uh, training have been uh, have been requested to conduct training for humanitarian actors uh, in uh, with many like international organization and have been uh, also asked to be as advisory in uh, role with those organization and have been also to advocate at national level for more engagement of OBDs uh, in the response and other humanitarian action. So yeah, it needs a lot of time, a lot of work, uh, but. Uh, uh, it needs a lot of time and a lot of work, uh, but by the end, uh, of course, uh, it will work, uh, but it needs uh, more collaboration, uh, more uh, working together with different organizations in order to, uh, to, 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 to accomplish that, to accomplish the empowerment of persons with disabilities 
uh, and and the key again, the key is to acknowledge uh, the recognition of personal disabilities as uh, Barkina, not only basic recipient of aid, and which is working on through this uh, capacity building initiative. Thanks very much, Alradi. Um, Shireen, I wondered whether you wanted to comment on that question as well. Sorry, um, I was muted. Um, I think I would, would agree with Aradi um, to have an actual empowerment, there need, need to be a lot of uh, coordination. Um, the coordination for the time being, we is only with the focus of building um, the, the capacities of um, organizations for people with disabilities or how to address the issues of people with disabilities, but I think at this at the same time there needs a lot of um, coordination among humanitarian actors um, to ensure that um, the empowerment and the efforts to empower um, the representation of people with disabilities um, come together. I think maybe um, the bridge training has um, supported uh, some of the organizations, humanitarian organizations who participated in that um, to understand the importance of inclusive emergency um, or humanitarian action, but a lot still need to be done. Um, as um, Simi said, it is still baby steps and um, unfortunately not a lot of coordination at the level of humanitarian actors yet to ensure this um, work is coordinated. Thank you, Shireen. Um, I have another question here uh, from an anonymous attendee. Um, in your personal experience regarding uh, humanitarian action and disaster risk reduction activities, what are the specific needs or disability types which are most underserved or most disregarded? As an example, do you think that physical accessibility is usually sufficiently covered while communicative barriers are less addressed? Are there issues which still rarely get any attention? And I want to direct this to Suleiman. And again, Suleiman, if you could keep your response um, brief and to the point, thank you. Suleiman, are you with us? I think your microphone is on mute. I'm here, I'm here. Great. Did, did you get that question or do you want me to repeat it? Yeah. I did. Um, we need to know the exact type of disability, which is very, very important because it is an impairment and what we can do so that we can put in place the right emergency, the type of emergency reduction to be given. Like I said earlier on, it is very, very needed for us to know the exact the locations of persons with disabilities, that's location where they live, what kind of humanitarian act of emergency that have been happening oftentimes. 
and then we can make arrangement. A situation whereby it just happened like unexpectedly. Um, the most priority thing is that we must make as we make sure that we know the persons with disability around that vicinity. Is it a physically challenged? Is it um, somebody with multiple disability or whatever kind of disability the person has? The person has to be rescued first. And then the kind of mainstreaming and disability inclusion concept and situation risks is very, very key. Because if we don't adapt it or we don't put it into consideration, then it might not be possible for us to do the needful. Oh, sorry. I... We must invite. I think we're having a little bit of trouble with the sound, uh, Suleiman. Um, well, let me just move on to someone else and then I'll come back to you. Sorry about that. Um, let's see. I have, uh, we've got an interesting one from Eve Ngunzi, who is also a co author of an article in the Humanitarian Exchange. Um, Eve works with CAFOD, and the article was about the Saudi approach, a safe, um, accessible, accessible, dignified inclusion. Um, Eve asked, what can be done to accompany data collection about the six types of disability using the Washington group questions so that it influences the programming? Um, my experience, in my experience, in many cases, it is approached with just a statistical aim. I wonder if I can direct that question to um, Simi first. And I believe you've got uh, some very good experiences of using improved data in the Pacific, Simi. So please go ahead. Thanks, uh, Wendy. Um... This, in, in terms of uh, the use of the, the Washington group of questions um, in programming, I, I think uh, at the beginning uh, for us, the first thing that we need to realize is um, the, the purpose in which the Washington group uh, of questions were developed. Uh, and, and this were to, to, to identify the prevalence of um, uh, persons with disabilities in a, um, within a population. Uh, and, and I think integrating those questions into, um, into programming, uh, one is it, it, it strengthens uh, uh, in terms of identification of persons with disabilities. Uh, secondly, is it, it enables disaggregation uh, of, um, of data, not just according to the population, but also according to issues, uh, linking it together with the different domains uh, that are identified through the various questions uh, that, were, that, that are used 
in the in the different tools developed by the Washington group. Uh, what we did uh, when when we were using the questions, the Washington group of questions in uh, during Tropical Cyclone Winston, uh, using those questions, it enabled us to one to identify uh, the needs of persons with disabilities based on their different um, domains that are there, uh, that are used within the Washington group sort set of questions. Uh, also, uh, it, it supports us in terms of identif um, uh, disaggregating barriers uh, based on the different uh, domains uh, across that are used in the Washington group sort set. So it, it, it probably it might give you uh, statistical data, but also it, it strengthens um, your uh, qualitative data and, uh, and also it, it provides you with the opportunity and a platform to probe uh, more in terms of areas that you need to dig deep, uh, that you need to conduct further uh, research or further discussions in terms of understanding uh, the situations of persons with disabilities uh, at, the, at the community level. Uh, it's, it's a great tool to use. Um, however, it also has its own limitations, but it's a, it's, a, it's a tool that can be used for a start as a minimum standard to collect data on persons with disabilities. Thank you, Simi. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I've got, a, I've got another question here from Kim, who works with the GSMA assistive technical team. Um, the question is, can any of the panelists share examples where digital stroke mobile, I guess, technology has played a role on driving enhanced humanitarian action for persons with disabilities specifically, or perhaps where they see immediate value of mobile uh, or digital solutions? Um, let's see, uh, maybe we could start with uh, El Radi. And then others can uh, can come in after that if they have comments. So, Roddy, have you seen um, any applications for this or evidence of this? Over to you. Yeah, uh, generally in response to this question and the question that uh, before have been addressed to Suleiman is when we're dealing uh, with accessibility for persons with disabilities, uh, that uh, should be looked uh, case on case by case basis. Uh, so, uh, because as Suleiman mentioned, the disability uh, considered as interaction between people who have impairment and the barriers that are around us, around them. Uh, this uh, interaction led to uh, isolate or uh, uh, limit the participation of persons with disabilities. So, in order to remove these barriers, we need to see the specific context. For example, in context in Sudan, the barrier will be different from the context in UK, from the context in Pacific, and so on. So uh, should be uh, look at uh, on case by case basis. And the key word here is consultation. We need to do consultation with persons with disabilities in uh, that uh, specific context. And more specifically, uh, in some cases, we need to do a consultation with individual disabilities that uh, need or require specific uh, requirement or, or uh, needs. Uh, so, uh, but generally, technology uh, play a good role or significant significant role uh, in facilitating the life of persons with disabilities, uh, even in not uh, even not in the humanitarian situation. For example, myself, I'm blind, and I use uh, screen reader. Uh, through it, I 
can uh, I'm able to do everything through a mobile phone or laptop doing my study, my work, and even uh, all my life uh, that related to uh, typing and reading and uh, is really is real, uh, rely on this assistive technology. So generally, uh, the uh, the technology can play a huge role. And also here linking that with the participation revolution, we need also to see what the local community has. Uh, uh, local community have, uh, I mean, like in some communities, they have their own technology, yeah, and their own uh, materials that could be benefit for such, uh, for such, uh, community for example uh, in some areas in sudan uh, uh, because of the rain you cannot use specific material uh, to do uh, lamps like uh, artificial lamps so you need to consider also uh, the context and the consultation or person with disability in that context in particular thanks already would anybody else like to to comment on that um Suleiman? Or Shireen? Yes, yes, Suleiman. Go ahead, Suleiman. Okay. Um, like uh, Araldine has said, the role of um, technology plays a key role in humanitarian um, action. Disability is, um, you know, like I said before now, we have diverse of this, different clusters of disability. So the most important thing is that there is a need for, for us to have a um, specific type of devices, which can be different for, for, for each country. And there is what, um, what we call um, like offline, offline devices and we have online devices and again humanitarian actors should have it in mind that like for the deaf and blind they use tactiles they don't use um, it's not cause so most time i notice that when there is an emergency you start making calls, you start making calls, call 411, call this number. But for the deaf, the situation for the deaf is not call. We, we can't make call. And so what we need is a um, signal, probably something like, like an alert, which can be linked up with the phone when there is an emergency. Um, and if I began to see an alert, I could know that, oh, something is wrong somewhere, then I need to move away from where I am. <laughs> Presently, we have different kind of um, new devices coming out now, which I, I, they are accessible to some specific um, type of disability. And then those clusters, th those companies that have been producing this, I, I believe that they can keep trying, you know, keep improving to produce more uh, devices that can be accessible to those uh, of us that need them. Thank you. Thank you very much, Suleiman. 
We've only got about five minutes left. And so what I'd like to do, although there are a few other questions in, in the chat and we can certainly um, direct those to panelists and put people with, in touch with each other uh, afterwards. But I would like to ask everyone very briefly on the panel to, to tell us what they think humanitarian organizations in particular need to be focusing on now. Um, we've got the guidelines, we have all that we have the standards, we have so many resources that we can use. What do we need to do now? Um, and how can the reference group best support our efforts as humanitarians? Um, let's start with Shireen. Thank you, Wendy. I, I would prioritize two things maybe for humanitarian actors, including, of course, Islamic Relief. Um, the first one, reaching out to um, people with disabilities through their representations um, um, where it exists. Um, as we said before, for people with disabilities, um, it is important to open all doors for meaningful participation in every single um, step of the humanitarian cycle, um, not only thinking of the absence of data, but to plan our own interventions in an inclusive way. So we have the, the time to ensure that the, the um, the inclusion of people with disabilities, the consultation, um, and how we can reach out to DPOs. Um, my second priority would be um, uh, to um, think of uh, addressing stigma and discrimination in as a cross-cutting theme in all our operations in a humanitarian action, um, not only thinking of stigma and discrimination as a standalone, but ensure that all our activities in, in cooperation with people, um, uh, disabled people organizations can address stigma and discrimination, um, thinking of change makers, of people with disabilities as change makers um, where we can. Thank you, Ova. Thank you very much, Shireen. Um, I'm going to move over to um, Simi. Thank you, uh, Wendy. For me, um, the two things that I would uh, focus on is one is the recognition of um, the need to build the capacity of persons with disabilities to effectively participate within the sector. And, and this is looking at it from two folds. One as beneficiaries of humanitarian actions, and the other one is as humanitarian actors. So for me, looking at that, strengthening the, uh, ensuring the effective and meaningful participation, there's a need to recognize that there are barriers that they experience which needs to be removed, and there are support that, they, that needs to be provided to, 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 to maximize. Uh, maximize their participation and for them to be able to bring in uh, things that they, 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 they can contribute uh, to ensure the inclusion and also to ensure that they're not left behind. Secondly is uh, humanitarian actors to focus on the way they work, review their systems, review their institutional structures and ensure that disability inclusion is integrated within their processes within their systems, and as I mentioned earlier, within their plans, budgets, the way they work, even uh, looking at their code of conduct, recruitment, the whole thing. 
I think there's a need to really look at institutional change. Institutional change within different organizations, uh, institutional change within people within organizations, and then and then only we can see effective uh, participation from persons with disabilities, because while we're dealing with changing attitudes, changing mindset and changing behaviors, institutions, processes, laws, and the ways of works need to also change to support this. Naka, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you, Sumi. Um, I'm going to move to uh, Suleiman. Uh, Suleiman, you've, uh, you've posted, um, I think your answer in the chat, which I'll read out, but then if you'd like to add anything to that, uh, please uh, do very briefly. As Suleiman said in response to that question that uh, it's important and uh, that there is uh, important em emphasizes on humanitarian actors to be inclusive for all and have universal design approach, which is acceptable to all, um, special uh, especially uh, special requirements. Suleiman, would you like to add anything to that briefly before I move on to El Radi as our client to make yes. a final comment? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, humanitarian actors. Um, uh, the area I would like them to focus on, they need to have it. They need to have the knowledge of disability concept, which is the first thing, which is key for them. Shana said that that empower, uh, capacity building is another key. And then another thing is um, um, we need to have a strong foundation for each other, BE, humanitarian actors, experts, IDDC, international disability, comes from the members, DPOs, organization of persons with disability. We need to come together in each countries to have bridge Article 11 training. So that, um, the knowledge, context, content on how to better carry out. Because every country has its own situation, emergency, you know, whatever. So, so all this needs to put into consideration. So capacity building is very, very important. And that is why we have bridge initiatives. And they are ready on Sorry, um, sorry, Suleiman, I thought you were finished. And we've only got a couple of minutes. So I wonder if um, I can ask if I can move on to El Radi, because um, I think you've made your point very well. Um, El Radi, you have the last word before we finish. So what's your view on this? Over. All right, uh, two things also. The first thing is meaningful, in, uh, meaningful engagement and uh, involvement of persons with disabilities organization in the humanitarian action. 
And here I would like to highlight and stress in the word meaningful. When we say meaningful, we, we mean exactly meaningful. We need to consider all persons with disabilities, uh, especially underrepresented groups such as uh, deaf, deaf blind, persons with social disability, intellectual disability, and so on. And also we need to ensure that uh, the engagement was in the beginning of the process from the uh, very beginning, planning, designing, delivering, not only after we uh, plan the, uh, and design the project and when we would like to implement and uh, ask DBOs just to endorse that. Yeah, we mean exactly meaningful. We need for this participation to ensure accessibility, a reasonable accommodation, to ensure uh, meaningful participation are in place as well. And the other thing will be uh, capacity building. We need to build the capacity of humanitarian actors on disability issues and on the right of persons with disabilities and how to deliver inclusive uh, humanitarian response to persons with disabilities uh, in a way that dignify ensuring uh, effective uh, implementation and inclusiveness of persons with disabilities in such programs. Thank you very much, Radi. Uh, and I'm sorry that we don't have more time because this is such a fascinating discussion and we have more questions as well. I think this final point that both you and Suleiman have, have uh, emphasized about building the capacity that, of humanitarian organizations, which I think often we don't like to hear. We often like to think that we are always in the position of building other people's capacity. So I think that's a point that we, uh, we need to remember very uh, clearly. So I'd like to thank all the panelists who were excellent for joining us today and uh, Simi in particular you, I know it's very late in the evening your time. Um, and also to all the people who joined us today and asked uh, such interesting and thought provoking questions. There will be a video and audio recording of the webinar which will be online uh, within the next couple of days. Um, so thank you again, and uh, I look forward to the discussion continuing in lots of other fora. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes. Thank you.